Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. Oh, maybe that's your experience where your family just drives you nuts and embarrasses you all the time. That makes this the perfect series to be part of, right? So we're talking about our homies, the people that we live with, the people that we're close to, people that we're friends with, um, the people that we love the most, and yet somehow seem to drive us the most crazy, right? And we're trying to take those relationships to a whole new level. And so I hope you've picked something up already if you've been here for other weeks of this series. We're actually in week five today. And this is uh, another one of those ones that kind of like makes me look at myself. It's difficult for me. Uh, uh, and so uh, maybe that'll be the case for you. But I think there's real answers from God's word for us. And so I hope you'll hear some truth today you hadn't heard before. And maybe you'll feel some grace from God's heart you hadn't heard before. I want to say thanks to the band. They put a lot of work into what they do up here. And uh, I know that the leaders, the band leaders, they sat down over a month ago and they look at the passages we're going to be teaching from God's Word and they uh, try to pick out songs that gel with those ideas from God's Word. So thank, I want to thank them for putting in that work ahead of time, for practicing this week and coming up here and giving it all they got uh, to lead us into God's throne room so we can celebrate Him and worship Him as a family. And I hope you'll stick around afterwards today and eat with us, right? So that's another good thing to do with your homies and your family. So I hope you'll stay afterwards and eat with us today. But So let's see if we can say it this way today, right? Somebody says something at just the wrong time and it sets you off. Or maybe they say the right thing, but they say it to the wrong person, right? Or maybe they say something to somebody else that you thought was private between the two of you. Maybe they uh, say something that just feels embarrassing. It seemed innocent to them when they said it, but to you it felt hurtful. And all of a sudden, just like that, with the power of one sentence or just one phrase, somebody can make you feel betrayed, angry, embarrassed, frustrated. Just like that, defeated. It's the power of words. The power of words. And that's what I want to talk with you about today in this fifth session of our series, Homies, The Power of Words. We've all experienced it on both sides, where somebody says something that just sets us off, changes the whole day for us, maybe weeks or months, or maybe the whole direction of our life, the power of words. They might have even said the right thing, but just caught you at the wrong time. And it changes everything inside of you, doesn't it? Haven't you all experienced that? Somebody that says something they thought wasn't going to hurt your feelings, but it did. You saying something you thought wouldn't be a big deal, but it turned out to be a big deal to somebody else. Uh, You saying maybe something you thought was the right thing, but you said it to the wrong person. So I got a story to tell you. All right, Michael, can you stand up for a second? I just want some of you guys may not know Michael, so I want you to know Michael's in the band too, but he wasn't playing today, right? You weren't up here today, were you? So he wasn't playing. He plays guitar in our band. He's an all-around good guy. Uh, helps in our sidekicks class sometimes too. And man, he's just a, he's a good looking guy. He's a good friend. He's always very encouraging to me. I just wanted you to meet him before I tell you the rest of this story. Okay, you can sit down. It's okay. I just wanted you to know who he was, right? And so uh, I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday this week now, but one morning this week, about 8.15 a.m., about 8.15 a.m., I got a text message from Michael. And I couldn't think of a better example of the exact right words Spoken to the exact wrong person makes you feel a little uncomfortable, all right? So I'm going to show you the text I got from him this week. Here it is. Good morning, beautiful. 
Just wanted, to, just wanted you to know I was thinking about you this morning. I love you more than you will ever know. And I can't wait to see you today. I hope you have a great day. I will call you after a while, or you can call me when you get up and moving. I love you, darling, with all my heart. And in case you couldn't see it from where you're at, there's one of those little smileys with the blow in the heart kiss out of its mouth, right? Well, okay, good morning to me, right? And so uh, I texted back and I said, that's very sweet and I love you too, but it might make Chelsea jealous. To which he says, good Lord, my bad, man. So, is that not a good example? Like you could say all the right things, but if you say them to the wrong person, it's going to make some people embarrassed or feel uncomfortable, isn't it? Uh, in some settings or some phrases, it could make you feel angry, violated, uh, betrayed. And that's really what we're talking about today. You, you've heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that's a lie, isn't it? Everybody knows that's a lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will often hurt me. They'll often hurt me. And words literally have the power to hurt or to heal, to help or to injure, to, to give life or give death. Am I overstating it? Am I overstating it? Or is that really the truth? Let, let me show you what Solomon says in Proverbs 18, verse 21. Some words from God through, through Solomon to us. Here's what he says. The tongue can bring death or life. Death or life. I mean, we're literally talking this morning about life and death. You may undervalue it. I think that's one of Satan's greatest tricks on people is to convince them that their words don't really make that big of a difference. That they could just say nothing, it won't matter. But your words, according to God, literally have the power of life and death. You have the power just on your tongue to push somebody over the cliff or to talk them off the ledge. That's how important it is. The power of words. The average human speaks about 16,000 words a day, or that's enough to fill up a 60-page book. And I wonder each day as you write your 60-page book, I wonder how many of those chapters are speaking life and how many of them are speaking death into other people around you, into the people you say you love the most. Jesus always spoke life into the people. It's one of the most amazing things about him was that no matter who he was around, whether they were rich or poor, young or old, male or female, like no matter righteous or heathen, no matter who he was around, he had this ability to always tell the truth, but to somehow bring energy and life into the room. Hope, a, a, a second chance, an option to make things right or to make things better. In fact, Jesus in the Bible is also called the Word. The Word. That's how important words are. He was actually called the Word. And when Jesus created everything that was around us, despite what the world would have you believe and despite what secular scientists would try to convince you of, that we all just magically appeared out of some random bang of primordial soup that came from who knows where, which really, in my opinion, takes more faith than believing there was a creator. I mean, I can't think of one other thing I've ever seen or known that just magically appeared out of thin air Everything I've ever seen built or made always had a creator. And so and if you ever roll up on a house that just spontaneously appeared, that'd be wonderful. I'd love you to show me that trick. But there's always a builder. There's always a creator. And Jesus is the creator. 
But when he created everything that is, he didn't get a bunch of beakers and Bunsen burners and uh, goggles and lab coats. And he didn't turn on bright lights and go into an all-white clean room laboratory and start mixing chemicals and, and cells and and all these things together to create things. No, what did he do when he created it? It says in the beginning of God's word that he said, let there be light. He spoke it, just a word, and God can create. Let there be light, and at 186,000 miles a second, light shoots out of God's mouth and fills the universe because that's what words can do. That's how powerful they really are. It's interesting that that's how God creates everything. Now, I want you to know today that if you want God to create better, stronger, healthier relationships, it's going to take some words. It's going to take some speech. It's going to take some control of your tongue. And I wonder how many of us are crushing the people we say we love with the way we speak. Maybe you've heard or thought these things before maybe you've said them yourself. Things like, you'll never amount to anything. I wish I'd never met you. You're nothing like your brother or sister. I'm so sick of you. I never did love you. You'll never change. I hate you. Those are powerful, powerful words. My life would be better without you in it. Those are words of death that can crush a relationship like that. Does it matter? Does it really matter or should I just be free to say whatever I want and hurt whoever's feelings I want to hurt? Well, Jesus thought it mattered. Can I show it to you? It's in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 36. Here's what Jesus said about it. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every useless word you speak, and listen to how he ends it, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. That's powerful. I've been sharing a verse like this with you every week of this session, verses that often go overlooked in the Bible, and we want to tell people like, hey, just pray the old magic prayer, and you'll be good with God forever. And yet we keep coming across these verses that seem to indicate like there's a little bit more to it then just repeat after me and you'll be all warm and fuzzy the rest of your life, isn't there? Imagine standing in front of God one day and he's going to judge me. He's going to judge you on the things I said. Do words matter to Jesus? The words you speak will either acquit you or condemn you. Let me ask you this again then. Do you speak life or death into your relationships? There's this story in John chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching or preaching to a huge group of people. And it's a hard teaching. He says to them, I am the bread of life. I'm not going to read you the whole chapter, but he goes on to say, I'm the bread of life. In other words, you need to eat from me. Whatever I'm offering is what you need to digest. You need to take everything I am and embrace it fully. And if you don't, you're going to starve to death. If you don't, you'll never experience eternal life. 
But if you do, if you take all that I am and you eat it, if you embrace it, if you wrap your life around it and do what I'm saying and believe what I'm telling you, if you look at me as your only source of sustenance, the bread of life, you will have everlasting life. And then it says, this was so hard for them to accept that many of the people who had been following Jesus turned away and didn't follow him anymore. And then Jesus turns to his closest friends, his closest followers, and he says to them, will you now leave me too? And I want you to see what Peter's response to him is. This is what Peter says back to him. He could have said a lot of things. He could have said, if I'm Peter, I probably would have said something like, no, Lord, I'm not going to leave you because I've seen all the powerful miracles you do. Or no, Lord, I'm not going to leave you because I know you're the son of God so I'm going to follow you. Or no, Lord, I'm not going to leave you because I know that being close to you means I'm going to um, get to experience like all kinds of great teaching and watch you do amazing things and be part of God's plan as it unfolds. But that's not what he says either. Here's what Peter's response is. Hey, are you going to leave me too? And this is what Peter says. Peter replied this, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. How important are the words we speak? How important are words to us? There's this thought out there by many that I could just go run off in the woods and live by myself and I'd be just fine. Is that right? Well, that's only right if you're going to rip out like a third of the Bible, a third of what God says to us. Do we need words? We definitely need words. Maybe you're sitting there now, you've said things like this before. I didn't mean to say that. That's not who I am. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So why do we struggle with the things we say so much? Why is this so hard for me? Because I think about my life and I think, I want to love the people in my life well. I, I want to love my wife better. I want to care for my kids. I want to be a good, solid friend. I want to be kind to my neighbors. I want to do this. So why do the things that come out of my mouth so often hurt people's feelings, make them upset, make them embarrassed, get them frustrated with me? You still got James 1.26? This is how I feel sometimes. James 1.26 says, if you claim to be a Christian, but don't control your own tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. He doesn't say, if I can't control my tongue, my religion is immature or it's not up to par or I still got a long way to go, which is what I'd like it to say. If I don't control my tongue, he's saying my Christian faith, my religion, everything I claim to be in Jesus is worthless, worthless. So why do I struggle with this so bad if I don't want to do it? Well, Jesus gave us the answer. I'm going to read it to you, okay? Jesus is going to tell you why you love the people around you, but you still seem to struggle to say the right things to them. Why you still seem to keep hurting their feelings over and over. Why you still seem to keep saying things you'd rather not say. Let me read it to you. Now hang in there because at the beginning of the paragraph, it's not going to sound like that's what he's talking about. But just hang in there, okay? It's in Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 43. And here's what it says. Luke 6, 43. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. 
A tree is identified by its fruits. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Now he's going to sum it all up. Here's what he's talking about. You ready? This is what he means. What you say flows from what's in your heart. Or if you grew up in a church like me, it's like out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Right? That's, that's how that really goes in the way I grew up. Right? But what comes out of your mouth started down here in your heart. And whatever fills up your heart is going to spill out of your mouth. You can't fake it for long. What, what is he saying? You can do all the good things you want, but at some point, you will be exposed for whatever kind of tree you are. You can walk around telling everybody you're an apple tree all week, but if you're really a peach tree, at some point, peaches are going to come out. You see what I'm saying? And he's saying whatever is in your heart is eventually going to come out of your mouth. What we have is not a problem with our lips. It's a problem with our soul. What we have is not a problem with our mouth. It's a problem inside of us, in our heart. That's the problem. It's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And so I kind of thought of this story this week that I thought best summed up what I was studying God's Word. I'm going to share it with you. You can tell me how you would answer if you want, or you can just um, do this rhetorically however you want. But there was a guy who was having some chest pains. It wasn't me. As far as I know, I'm in good health. But there was a guy who was having some chest pains. I mean, I don't, I don't eat like I'm in good health, but, you know. There was a guy who was having some chest pains. And they were kind of minor, but he felt like I should probably still go get checked out. So he goes to the doctor, and they run all the stress tests on him and the EKGs, and they're checking him out from head to toe, trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And the doctor finally comes back into the room, and he says, I got good news and bad news. The good news is you've got a heart problem. The bad news is I have a treatment for it. All right, I'm going to give you the doctor's treatment plan for this guy. Here it will be on the screen. You ready? Now it's bad news and good news. Remember, here's the bad news. He says, you're going to need a heart transplant. I don't like the sound of that. That sounds like major problems. He's like, yep, it's bad. I just want you to know you're not going to make it much longer if you don't follow this treatment plan. You may have a month, you may have six months, but your, your heart's going to fail. So you're going to need a heart transplant as soon as possible. Okay, doc, well, I don't like it. He said, well, that's not it. There's more. There's more. On top of that, you're going to need lifelong medication. After the transplant's over, you're going to be taking medication for your heart the rest of your life. I don't really like that, but okay, it is what it is. And then he says, but there's, wait, there's more. <laughs> wait, there's more. On top of that, you're going to need some regular checkups. I'm going to need you to come back and see me the rest of your life over and over again so we can see if anything needs adjusted or see if we need to tweak anything in the treatment plan. And then on top of all of that, I'm going to also need you to slow down, de-stress your life a little bit, create some new slower habits, maybe take some days off, not be such a workaholic, not have so many homies, not exert yourself so much. This is 
my treatment plan for your heart that's failing. So let me ask you a couple questions about this treatment plan. If you were the guy that had the heart condition, and you went to the doctor, and he gave you this treatment plan, and he told you that you weren't going to survive without this, and you said to the doctor, you know what, doc, I'm willing to take the meds, and I'll make some changes in my life and slow down, but I'm not going to come back and see you all the time. That's I'll have to pay all those co-pays. I'm not going to do it. What would you say about that guy? You'd call that guy a fool, wouldn't you? What, what if he said, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Doc. I'll do all of this, but the transplant surgery sounds too intense. I don't want anybody cutting me open. I'm not going to get the transplant. Give me whatever meds, and I'll come see you as, twice as much as you want me to. I'll, I'll take the medication, and I'll slow my pace down in life. But I'm not, And the doctor says, you don't understand. That won't work. The heart is in such bad shape right now, without the transplant, you won't make it. What would you say about a guy who looked at this treatment plan, heard the advice from the doctor, heard the condition his heart was in from the doctor, and decided, I'm going to rewrite the plan and not do some of it? Think that guy was a fool, right? An imbecile, right? And that's exactly what we would be like if we didn't follow God's plan. Now, here... Here's what I found as I was studying God's Word this week, right? This is the exact same treatment plan that God prescribes for our hearts if we want to speak words of life into the people around us. Can I show it to you from God's Word? Can I show you where he said it all? Let's, let's back up through it and let me show this is our solution or our treatment plan for a heart that says all the things I don't want it to see. Because see, if I keep saying things that I don't want to say that hurt other people, the answer is not trying to change what's spilling out of my mouth. The answer is trying to change what's flowing into my heart. There's a connection between the two. So let me, let me show you the treatment plan. You ready? So here is the first step, a heart transplant. Now in the Bible, a heart transplant is only available if Jesus does it, if Jesus gives you the new heart. And so in the Bible, that's called salvation through total surrender. And it's the only way you can get a heart transplant. You, you can't do this procedure at home on your own. You, you can't, like, put a Band-Aid on top of your chest and think that's going to fix, fix the problem. Jesus needs to cut you open and swap it out for a brand new heart. And it's only available when you surrender to him totally. Salvation is only available through total surrender. I don't know if somebody sold you a lie before, if somebody told you all you have to do is walk down this aisle and you'll be a Christian, wabam, some kind of abracadabra garbage. I don't know if they told you, hey, if you become a member of our church, then you're a Christian. If we dunk you underwater, that makes you a Christian. I don't know what anybody else told you, but in God's word, the only way you become a Christian and get a brand new heart is when you look God in the face and you say, I surrender everything I am to everything you say. Did Jesus die for me? Absolutely. Did Jesus raise from the dead for me? Absolutely. Do you have to believe that? Absolutely. Because if I don't, then I think I could take care of my own problems. No, I needed him to die for me because I couldn't do it. But that isn't what saves you. You think Satan's an idiot? Oh, I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. You think Satan doesn't know Jesus died and rose from the dead? Is he going to heaven? Is he a Christian? 
Well, what's the difference? Stop walking around the world saying, I believe in Jesus. They all believe in Jesus in McCreary County. They all believe in Jesus. But Satan believes in Jesus the same way most of us do. What does it really mean to believe in Jesus? Well, Romans 10 tells us, if I'll believe that Jesus died for my sins, but if I'll also declare that he's my Lord. What is the Lord? It means he's the boss of me. He's in charge. I submit, I surrender to his leadership in my life. They go together. They don't, they don't exist without the other. Any kind of belief that doesn't involve me surrendering doesn't qualify me for the transplant list. Do you understand? I don't get to say, I believe there's a God. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later. I even believe he did it all for me, but I can do whatever I feel like doing. You're off the list if you feel like that. Salvation is only available through total surrender. I no longer get to be in charge of my life. If God says it, I believe it. If he tells me to do it, I have to do it. Not because I'm a robot, not because I'm trying to earn his favor, but because that's the condition for him to give me a brand new heart. I give up everything I am, and I embrace everything he is. I am the bread of life. If you will get all of your sustenance only for me, you will have eternal life, and many turned and walked away from him. And so where are you on the transplant list? Because this is where most people get the whole treatment plan wrong. They never even get to the rest of the plan because they keep trying to repair what can't be repaired. They keep trying to medicate a dead heart instead of getting a brand new heart. And so they run to whatever feels good to help them feel better inside for a couple minutes only to find that it wears off and their life still stinks down the road because they never got a new heart. We constantly want to prescribe our own treatment plan instead of submitting to God's. If you're going to tell the doctor what the treatment plan should be, then stop going to the doctor because you're just going, you're wasting your time. You're fooling yourself. It never works. It always leaves us broken, speaking hurtful words to the people around us. In Ezekiel, God talks to his people and he says, you're all so stubborn. You keep doing the wrong thing. I keep telling you what to do, and you keep doing the opposite. I have to keep punishing you, but that doesn't even work. You still keep breaking my commandments. You still keep breaking my laws. I keep telling you what to do. You keep not doing it. I keep punishing you. Then I tell you what to do again, and you still won't do it. Over and over this cycle. Until eventually he says, I'm going to have to step in and do something miraculous to fix this. And I want you to hear what he tells him he's going to do. It's in Ezekiel chapter 35, verse 26. He says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. You see how what we've got is not an obedience problem? It's not a language problem. It's not even really a, a, a behavior problem at all. It's a heart problem. Who's he think he is to tell me what to do? Well, he's the God of the universe. Who do you think you are to flip your middle finger up at him and tell him you'll do what you feel like doing? That's the real question. 
It's why David said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I can't just figure it out on my own. I need you to give me a brand new heart. Heart transplant. But I also need to take lifelong medication. Just because I get the new heart doesn't mean I don't need medication. I still need medication. And in the Bible, lifelong medication is kind of described as daily doses of God's truth. I need the truth spoken over my life daily because it's easy and natural to start believing lies and to forget what God's told me. And I love the songs we sang this morning that tie perfectly into this. I need to take God's truth in each day because that's what allows me to speak God's truth out each day. In Isaiah 55, God compares his word to the rain. And he says, rain falls on the seed that farmers just planted and the rain always causes the seeds to grow. And then in verse 11, he says, it's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I need God's word spoken into my life every day so I don't start to believe the lies everybody else is telling me. So I don't start to believe the lies that I hear from my own inner voice. So that I don't believe the lies that come from the enemy. And they're everywhere. Lies like you're a loser, like you're not good enough, like you'll never be anything. Maybe you're hearing them from homies. I never did love you. My life would be better off without you. You'll never be any different than you are right now. Crushed, crushed, crushed inside. I need God's truth spoken over my life every day so I won't buy into those lies. Remember, our words have the power to bring life or death. Imagine how much life and death God's words can bring if our words can bring life and death. How much power is there behind what God says about me? If you've received a heart transplant, if you're actually in Christ, the Bible has this huge, long list of things that God says are true about you. Can I give you just a short few of them? God says, I'm his child. God says, I'm accepted. God says, I'm free. God says, I'm loved. God says, I'm secure. God says, I'm forgiven. God says, I'm enough. He says, I'm a difference maker. He says, I'm valuable. And he says, I'm a masterpiece. How do you think your life would be different if every day you heard these ideas ringing through your head? I'm forgiven. You're, You're so dirty, but I'm forgiven. Nobody loves you, but God loves me. You'll never be anything. God says I'm valuable. You're never going to do anything of significance in this world. God calls me a difference maker. How would my life be different if I, and when I don't get a daily dose of God's truth, I start to forget and believe what everybody else is saying about me, including myself. I need God's words. It's my medication to keep my heart healthy and strong, so that when I speak, what will pour out is the things God says about me. (sighs) How much better off would your life be if the people in your family and the people you're friends with and the people you work with heard you saying things every day like, God loves us. God has plans for me. It's going to be a good day because God calls me a difference maker. 
Instead of the same old things we go into work or school with each day, talking about how bad the day is, how exhausted I am. Oh, I just never seem to get anything done. I can't ever seem to get ahead. I'm always broke. I'm always tired. Man, what if we started speaking words of life instead? we got to take our medicine every day if we're going to do it. We're also going to need regular checkups. Regular checkups. In the Bible, this is really meeting with God to ask him for help. You're meeting with the doctor to ask for more help. Do I need to tweak the plan at all or change direction or take different medication? Do I need to read more, read less, pray more, pray less? Do I need to go to church today? Do I need to do, I'm going to him to be like, do I need to change the treatment plan at all? Is there anything that needs to be tweaked? See, I need him every hour. Every hour I need him. I come to him. I say, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee because everybody who thinks they stand should take heed lest they fall. And even the good people, even the righteous people, fall down over and over and over again in God's word. And so I need to meet with him every day to ask for help. And I wonder, when was the last time you just asked God to help you? Help me, God. I want to speak good words to my wife. Help me, God. I want to be an encouragement to my coworkers. God, help me. These kids are disrespectful. How many times have I asked God for help? Isn't that the goal we should have, to become more and more dependent on God each day? I've said this to our church before, but if dependency on God is the objective, then weakness becomes our advantage. Because when I'm weaker, then he can be stronger. In fact, until I get weaker, he won't be stronger for me. How do I get weaker? I recognize how incapable I am of doing it on my own, and I start asking for help. God, help me. I could never pray without ceasing. I could never pray all day. Yes, you could. If everything that came up, you started saying, God, help me with this. God, help me again. God, help me. I won't be able to do it on my own. God, help me. God, help me. If you meet with him regularly, ask him for help. He'll show up in that weakness and help you speak the words of life. It's why David said in Psalm 141, Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift towards evil. I'm going to drift towards unhealthy words. I'm going to drift towards hurtful comments. I'm going to drift that way. And so I need to ask him for help over and over and over again. But I also need to slow down. And in the Bible, slow down is described as think before you talk. Think before you speak. Often our hurtful words are the things we speak that hurt other people, they would, they're just merely a byproduct of, of being too tired or reacting too quickly or out of emotion. And if we would just slow down and wait before we hit send, our life would be better. If we'd let a trusted Christian friend proofread something we're about to post before we put it up, our life would be better. If we'd just count to 10 sometimes before we answer back, our life will be better. If we'll just wait till the other person finishes their sentence before we respond, our life will be more compassionate and better. You ever have that conversation with the person that starts talking before you even finish your sentence? Like they're not even listening to what you say? They just want to get their two cents in? Your life will be better and your relationship stronger if instead of doing that, you just breathe for a second. Maybe you need a Sabbath day. 
a day where you're just not going to work. You're not going to do yard work. You're not going to work in the garage. You're just going to rest and chill with the Lord. Why? Because when I get tired, I don't know about you, but when I get tired, I get irritated more easily. And so maybe God knew what he was talking about when he said, take a day each week and rest. Take a day and just spend it with me. And see if the other six days you're not speaking more words of life to people around you. James said it like this in James 1.19. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So look, for this session today, I just want to ask you two questions then. They're simple questions. But my challenge for you in these questions is that you would be honest with yourself when you answer them. Because it's easy to lie to ourselves. Here they are. Can I ask them to you? Whose forgiveness do you need to seek for the words you've used? I mean, are you too proud to do that? Because that could be what's holding your relationships back. Whose forgiveness do you need to seek for the words you've used? And here's the second question. Which piece of God's treatment plan for our words have you been resisting? Maybe you're the person who's like, you don't understand, I can't slow down, I got too much to do. That's fine. You're free to do what you want, but it's exactly why your relationships are suffering. Oh, man, meet with God every day. Ask him for help. I should be able to do some stuff on my own, right? Like, I just forget. I just forget to ask him for help. That's fine. Forget. You can forget. Don't do whatever it takes to remind yourself. Just don't meet with him every day and get a checkup. Don't ask him for help. But it's why your relationships are suffering. You're going to have to take some medication every day. And you don't have to. You're like, I don't have to read God's word. I don't have to speak what God says over me. That's fine. But if you don't, you're going to start to believe the lies. And it's going to hurt all your relationships. A heart transplant, that sounds a little too serious. I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of dipping my toe in this Christianity thing. I don't know if I'm that far in. I mean, whatever God says I got to do, yep. You don't have to do it. Good luck on the old heart that isn't working. It's your choice. But the only way you're going to get the new heart is total surrender. So which piece of that treatment plan have you been resistant to? Maybe today is the day God gives you a brand new heart. You don't need to pray any magic words that I tell you. You just need to surrender to him. And if you really do, he gives you a new heart. But really, surrender means that whatever he says, I have to believe. Whatever he tells me to do, I have to do. I don't get to rewrite his word according to my own wishes. I don't get to demand my own way when he tells me something I don't like. I don't get to go with my gut or what feels good. I have to obey what he says. You'll never be perfect. But your attitude is one of surrender. And in that moment, he gives you a brand new heart. Maybe the piece you've been resistant to and you need to change in your life is you need to go out of here today and be like, you know what? I got to start reading God's word every day because I'm believing some lies about myself. And I'm never going to speak the truth into other people if I don't first let God speak it into me. Stop by the three source on your way out. Pick up a devotional book. Start spending three minutes a day with God. Three minutes. It's like sometimes people act like you're asking them to give up their whole day to read the Bible. Can you just read a verse? Let God speak one piece of truth into you every morning? 
Start begging him for help over and over again. Start doing it. He stands at the ready wanting to help. Will you ask him to help? Slow down. Slow down. Listen to people before you answer them. Double check, proofread stuff before you post it. Take a break and rest during your week. See if you don't start speaking more words of life. The ball's in your court now. All I get to do is come up front, share with you truth from God's word, and challenge you to go out of here and do it, not just hear it. The ball's in your court now. You might need a new heart. You might need to adopt a different part of this treatment plan. But I beg you, don't wait. Because you're not going to last much longer. Your heart's about to give out. And you need God's plan for your life. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would embolden and empower the people in this room right now with the courage it's going to take to step out of their comfort zone and ask you for a heart transplant. I pray that you would give them the courage it'll take to step out in faith and surrender everything they are to you, no matter what it costs them, so that they can get a brand new heart. I pray that you would give the people in this room the commitment and the courage it's going to take to start reading your word every day over their life. I pray that you would give the people in this room the courage and the conviction it's going to take to start asking you for help over and over and over again. And I pray you would give them the courage and the conviction it'll take to take a break from their life every week and just rest with you a little bit. To slow down and think before they speak so that they can speak more words of life into the people they call their friends and family. In Jesus' name I pray.